said to them, Why is it said that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself declares in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. David calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? While all the people were listening, Jesus said to his disciples, Beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Simon. Let's pray that the Lord would speak to us. Lord, we hear that challenge against the leader's hypocrisy of saying one thing with their lips but living differently. And we sing our praise to you as our Lord, but we're not always as good as living with you as Lord or trusting you as Lord. And we pray, come by your spirit this morning. As Carolyn was praying earlier, you are so good and so loving and you've made us to live with you as Lord. Give us grace as we reflect on what it means for you to be our Lord. And by your spirit, give us the desire and the courage to live that way too. So speak now, we pray, through your word, through me, and we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Andy, if you're still awake in your hospital bed, we love you. Uh, You were meant to be here preaching this sermon, I was meant to be listening to you, but I hope this is a blessing to you, and uh, we'll return the compliment another time, and you can do one for me uh, another time. Uh, We are going through Luke's Gospel. We've had a couple of weeks of controversy. You may remember two weeks ago, Graham Pringle preaching on authority. The leaders asked Jesus, by what authority are you doing these things? And he said, well, I'll ask you a question. Where did John the Baptist's authority come from? Was that God or was that just human? And they said, oh, well, if, it, if we say it was just, if it was God, he'll say, why didn't you believe him? And if we say it was just human, well, we can't say that because the people thought it was God. And they said, we don't know. And Jesus said, okay, I won't tell you either. Jesus was really good at sidestepping. I love this about Jesus. He's so smart. You can't outsmart him. And he went on to tell a story of the tenants in the vineyard that they knew he'd spoken against them. And they're more determined to trap him. Uh, So last week, we saw the question where they say, Teacher, uh, you care about God. You don't care what anybody thinks about you. Should we pay the tax to Caesar or not? And Jesus knew that if he said they should pay the tax, he would lose all (laughs) all his popularity. People would stop listening to him. But if he said, no, you shouldn't pay the tax, then they'd throw him into jail for insurrection against Caesar. And Jesus just says, well, show me a coin. And whose head is on that? Caesar's. Well, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. So clever. They came last Sunday evening. We were looking at the question of marriage and the resurrection. And again, Jesus dealt with it supremely. Uh, To the point where, where we read this, the two verses before our reading, verses 39 and 40. Uh, Some of the teachers of the law responded, well said, teacher, and no one dared ask him any more questions. But Jesus carried on teaching, 
and making comments. We'll see his teaching today. Next week, we'll see him talking about, do you see that widow putting those coins in? Uh, she's given more than anyone else will be there. He's still in the temple courts, but the days are coming where they will arrest him. Uh, so here we have Jesus saying, well, let me ask, if there's no more questions for me, let me ask you one. And Jesus said, why is it said that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself declares in the book of Psalms, Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. David calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? And they're stumped. They can't work it out. They didn't know the answer. Uh, in Matthew's version of this, here he gives another comment. Same thing. If David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one could say a word in reply, and from that day on, no one dared ask him any more questions. And you can see, and this is the sort of thing I really love. I love clever repartee, uh, and I would have just loved being there, listening to Jesus, sorting them out. It would, it would have just been wonderful. You cannot outsmart, outsmart Jesus. He is too smart. Now, while the Sadducees and the authorities didn't know the answer to the question, we do. We know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem in the line of David, so he is David's son. But we know he was the Lord of Lords, the Son of God, uh, born of a virgin. And we celebrate that at Christmas. We say it in the creeds. We know the answer to that question, so I'm not going to go any further into that. What I do want to do is pick up this verse from the psalm, Psalm 110, because it is used at least 20 times in the New Testament, a direct quote, an allusion. It's kind of a dominant theme for who Jesus is throughout the New Testament. There it is, Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord, whenever you get the Lord in capitals, that's Yahweh, the divine name, says to my Lord, they understood that to be the Messiah, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Uh, now, the trouble with not having long to prepare a sermon is it's usually too long. It takes a lot of work to get it shorter. But I know the kids need collecting at 10 to 12. Uh, and if we're going close to the wire and singing our last song, those of you little people just slip out and collect them to bless our children's leaders. Uh, I got seven points. Well, actually, I got about 25. But uh, we'll see how they go. We'll try and go through them quickly. Sometimes I, I work them down to three, but I, I haven't had time to do that. So anyway, there's seven, at least seven points. So let's go. Quoted by Peter on the day of Pentecost, this is Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to read to you from verse 29 to 36, so you get the context. This is Peter on the day of Pentecost, talking about Jesus, and he's saying, Jesus is alive, David's not. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried. His tomb is here. It's over there, he would have said, to this day. But he was a prophet. He knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of the Father, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So, David used, so sorry, Peter uses this text 
to explain just who Jesus is. And the key bits of his explanation were verses 32 and 33 of Acts 2. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we're witnesses. He is exalted to the right hand of God. He's received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and poured out what you now see and hear. So Psalm 110 verse 1 is that key verse uh, right at the heart of David's sermon. And one of the things uh, that Jesus does from the right hand of the Father is pour out the Holy Spirit. He did it on the day of Pentecost. He's been doing it ever since. He does it continually. And we are told in Scripture to be filled with the Spirit and go on being filled with the Spirit. So it's a great prayer to pray every day, Lord, fill me afresh. We leak, we get things wrong, we lose our focus, and we need to be filled afresh. We cannot follow Jesus as Lord in our own strength. We cannot sustain the energy for mission or loving difficult people or just getting up another day and doing what's right in our own strength. We need God's Holy Spirit. Uh, that's a whole sermon itself, but let's move on to number two. Paul quotes this verse in the great chapter of Ephesians 1 when he's pointing us to Jesus' great power. So again, I'll read you the, the whole passage, Ephesians 1, 18 to 23, and then we'll focus in on the key verse. Paul says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. That's a great prayer for us today, Lord. Open our eyes in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty, the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead, and here we go, the quote, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, dominion and power, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the ones that come. And the rest of the quote, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Jesus is the head of the church, and he has this extraordinary power sitting at the right hand of the Father, far above all reign. Again, two key verses in that, verse 19 and 20. His incomparably great power for us who believe, that power is the same as the mighty strength God exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. And Paul, in this letter to the Ephesians, dwells on the power of God, that nothing is impossible for him. I love the blessing at the end of Ephesians chapter 3, where you get this. We got these verses. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or all we can even think of asking but we can imagine according to his power at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever amen so this truth that Jesus is raised and exalted to the father sitting at the right hand pouring out his spirit it also means that nothing is impossible for God he's raised Jesus from the dead his power is immeasurable. Jesus demonstrated, didn't he, when he walked this earth over creation. He stilled the storm. He walked on water. He turned water into wine. He healed the sick. He healed the blind and lepers, those who were unwell. He cast out demons. He set people free. He raised people from the dead, and he was raised from the dead himself. Nothing is impossible for him. 
It's very frustrating that sometimes Jesus chooses to exercise his power by just giving us the strength to cope with difficult stuff rather than by sorting it out. We would much rather he just sorted it out. But what he tends to do is give us the strength to cope with it. One day, he will sort it all out. But when he sorts out the things that bug me, he'll also sort out the things that bug you and everybody else. He will come again and everything will be made new. In the meantime, he does do some amazing things. But it's equally amazing to give us strength to endure, even if that's not how we want the prayer to be answered. Lord, nothing is impossible with you. Please sort it out. Well, I think I'll just give you strength to cope. (laughs) That's one of the ways he does it. Let me go on. There's another sermon. Uh, Point three, Jesus has sat down. It means he's kind of finished the first part of his ministry. He finished paying for our sins on the cross. Listen to how the writer to the Hebrews puts it, Hebrews 1, 1 to 3. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets and many times in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the universe. Just also, little by the way. I like that one. It's like in Genesis 1. He also made the stars. Just the billions of them. You've seen the pictures from the telescope now out there. Isn't it? Jesus made that. And that's also by the way. Verse 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Here we go. After he had provided purification for sins, after he died on the cross, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Now, after I've finished preaching, I should go and stand at the door and greet you and say hello. Uh, And when we've tidied everything up, I shall go home and I shall sit down. Uh, It's great. You you, You finish your job, you come home, you sit down. Jesus had finished paying the price for sin. He had done it. He was raised from the dead and he sat down at the throne of God. That means your sin is paid for. Yes, your sin, not just the sin of the people next to you. And no, your sin is not so bad that Jesus can't forgive you. We're all in the same boat. We all need to be forgiven. No one is perfect, but no one is so bad that they can't be forgiven. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. Greek word, printed tetelestai would have been written on bills when they'd been paid it means the price has been paid writer to the hebrews goes on to dwell on this point several times particularly in chapters 7 8 9 10 but this is hebrews 10 11 to 13 and he's talking about how normal old testament priests did the sacrifices day after day they were symbolic of the forgiveness of sins but they couldn't actually deal with our sin Uh, Day after every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again, he offers the same sacrifice which can never take away sins. But when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice, once for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, here's the quote, and since that time he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. This is the theme. He's finished that part of his ministry. Our sins are forgiven. Yours are paid for. So to anyone who's struggling with, oh, I feel so guilty. Or even worse, sometimes I feel shame. Uh, Jesus has paid the price for your sins. He knows and he loves you and he wants you to know you're washed clean and set free. And if you're struggling to know that, come and receive prayer. 
join our Alpha course to think it through. As we, we can understand our heads, we need to get it deep down in our inner being. But Jesus has finished that bit of his ministry. He has sat down. Uh, that's done. He's now pouring out his Holy Spirit to give us strength to live for him. Uh, and that's not all he's doing. Point four, he is praying for us. He's praying for you now, every day. Romans 8.34, Paul puts it like this. Who's the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, here's today's thought, is at the right hand of God, interceding for us. He's praying for you. He's praying for you in your work situation. He's praying for you in your home relational situation. He's praying for you for strength for the temptations that come your way. He's praying for you that you would bow your knee to him as Lord, that he could fill you with his spirit and you could become the person he's made you to be. It is a wonderful, wonderful thought. And again, the writer to the Hebrews develops this in chapter 7. So I'll just a couple of verses from this. Hebrews 7, 23 to 25. There have been many priests, uh, again, the Old Testament priests, death prevented them continuing office. But because Jesus lives forever... He's risen, he's ascended, he's sitting at the right of the Father. He has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Jesus can save you completely. We are forgiven from the past. He is at work setting us free from the grip of sin in our lives. And one day, when he returns or we die, whichever comes first, we will be fully set free from even the presence of sin. If we could see each other, what we'll be like in glory. As C.S. Lewis said, we'd be tempted to worship. It'll be amazing. And Jesus can set, yes, you free from whatever that sin is that continually gets you down. He may well want to put others around you. You may need to talk about it and pray about it as we bring things to the light so they lose their power. Jesus can set you free completely. So number five, we're told in the New Testament, Paul says, so lift up your eyes and look to him who's seated at the right hand of the Father. Colossians 3, 1 to 4. Since you've been raised from, with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. There's the, the phrase again. Set your minds on things above. I set your focus, your heart and your mind. Do we do it most of the time? No. We set our minds on the stuff that the bills that need paying, the emails that's come in, uh, the leak in the roof, the dodgy car tire, the, the, the people pestering us for things, whatever it is. And we forget. Once a week on Sunday is a good reminder, but it needs to be continually every day. When you get up in the morning, look up. Jesus, you reign. You're praying for me. You're pouring out your spirit. Help me through this day not to lose sight of you there. Again, the writer to the Hebrews, a wonderful meditation on Jesus' high priestly ministry for us. Chapter 12 of Hebrews goes like this. Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, the people who've gone before us, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, 
scorning its shame, and here it comes. He sat down at the right hands of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so you will not grow weary and lose heart. Are you tempted to grow weary and lose heart? I know what that, there are times when it just feels too much. Look up, consider him. Jesus took the full force of opposition and he triumphed over it. And he's praying for you and pouring out his spirit and will give you the strength. Uh, when we were doing the redevelopment for this building, we had wonderful, generous giving from so many people putting on hold, changing their car uh, or doing up their kitchen or going on foreign holidays. But we also did some fun things. We had 40 of us entered the Regency Run and we all had bright orange T-shirts which had... Um, can we go back to verse 1 of Hebrews 12, just the previous slide or two? Uh, keep going back before, back to verse 1, where it said, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. That was a... Uh, when you're running a long race, you need to look ahead. And if you get bogged down on how tough it is, it's easy to give up. We need people around us. We need to look ahead. And so it's true of the Christian life. Now, this Jesus has given you and me a task to do. He is the Lord of Lords, and he's given us a job. And it's not optional. It's what, if Jesus is our Lord, this is our task. Uh, it's the famous task he gave in the Great Commission at the end of Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20 of Matthew 28. It's just before he ascended. Pretty much the last thing he said to his disciples. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He reigns. He's at the right hand of the Father. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And it's, it's actually better, therefore, as you are going. The emphasis is make disciples rather than go, it's as you're going about your daily life, be making disciples, though some are called to go somewhere else and do it somewhere else, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always. He's not just sending his Spirit, uh, he's with us by his Spirit. He's not just praying for us, he's with us in this to the end of the age. So we've thought today about our local mission partners, our global mission partners. God's given us a vision to work with other churches in this area. A huge vision that everybody in this area, that's at least 100,000 people in this area, would have a meaningful opportunity to respond to the good news of Jesus over the next 10 years, actually nine and a bit years. We've said by Easter 2033, that will be 2,000 years since the resurrection by our calendar. How on earth is that going to happen? Some people have said to me, well, that's a stupid vision because it will never happen. No, nothing is impossible for God. God can do immeasurably more than all you can ask or think of asking. So lift your eyes, but it will not happen by us being busy, 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 busy. We'll get burnt out. It will happen by each of us being filled with the Spirit of God, living with Jesus as Lord, having those conversations as we go about our daily business at work with others and others being drawn to him. And that's how the gospel spreads. There is a danger of Christendom, of relying on buildings and vicars. And uh, I think the Western church shows that's not a good way to rely. They're good things, but the main thing is every individual disciple filled with God's spirit, 
living with Jesus as Lord and following his prompting. We cannot do this in our own strength. It's only in his strength. But if you know that God's stirring something in you to start, have a word with Eleanor about her learning community. There's groups of two and three and four lay people around this area coming together to form a learning community. How do we start a new worshipping community there or there or here? How do we do this? I'm sure God's stirring it up. And our job is to equip you to do that. Well, last one. This is point seven. They're not the sharpest of points, but there you go. It's really only a one-point sermon. Uh, One day, every knee will bow to Jesus as Lord. Philippians 2, 5 to 11, this glorious passage. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, sitting at the right hand of the Father, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is at the right hand until that day comes when all bow the knee to him at his feet. And we look forward to that great day. Jesus is Lord. It's not Caesar. In the New Testament era, Caesar looked so powerful. Jesus looked so weak. But Jesus is Lord. If you go to Rome now, you see some crumbling old ruins of the Roman Empire. I don't know quite what to make of all the glories of the Vatican, but it's clear that the people following Jesus did quite well. That he is Lord. We call our children after Jesus' followers, Peter and Matthew, or Mary after his mother. We call our dogs Caesar and Nero and that sort of thing. Now, <laughs> Jesus, sorry, it wasn't original to me. That was a John Ortberg line, but it's a good one. Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. Let me tell you, Jesus is Lord, not public opinion. I find for the church in the West, we so easily cave into what others think. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord, not your career. If Jesus calls you to take promotion, take it. If you're offered it, don't just take it without checking with Jesus. Do you want me to take this or not? Yes, you might get more money. Big whoop. You may have less time. Jesus is Lord. Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? Jesus is Lord. Not your family, not the church. They're the two idols I'm in danger of confusing. It's Jesus is Lord. And he will return. And we're told to lift our eyes and to bow our knee. So let's do that. Let's stand. Would the band come back? Two or three minutes before 10-2. We got there. Uh, 